0: Hello there, guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I'm joined by none other than Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek podcast and the Stories Out of Time and Space podcast. If any of you subscribe to Comics in Motion, which is and my other podcast airs, you'll know that Scott has been involved with a multitude of different collaborations and whatnot and guest spots and things. We did do a show together. Uh, it was the multiple part Star Wars shows for late last year, getting ready for Rise of Skywalker. And then the start of this year as well for Rise of Skywalker. And also, funnily enough, as me releasing this today, tomorrow I'm going to be recording an episode with Scott as well as with Megan uh, about Batman films. So lots of cool things to do with Scott over the coming weeks so in this chat i'll give a couple of quick bullet points of what is discussed we speak about old sci-fi shows and their special effects for quite a while including the mandalorian using this new technology as well that ghostbusters has been using too we speak about de-aging technology and what cutting edge must look like you know things behind closed doors that the public don't get to see for many many years Uh, and then we also speak about dystopian futures and towards the end of the discussion it goes on to red dwarf and then uh, the part one ends with where our conversation sort of picks up regarding crossovers and then that is all continued in part two the promo for this week's show is from Beanuts Productions. Gough of Beanuts Productions has been on the show four times before, including on episode 105, so make sure you go check that out too but aside from that guys that's pretty much it for me in the intro if you haven't come to the show before then after my main chat with scott which is as i said part one and part two will be out next week at the same time after the chat i'll be back right at the end to give a bit more information on what you can expect from part two as well as more future episodes from genuine chit chat and my other podcast, star wars comics in canon and some other guest spot things too all the information you need will be in the show notes of this episode and as always you can always contact me on social media at genuine chit chat on twitter instagram and facebook thank you so much for listening guys and i'll talk to you at the end. Hi, this is Goff from BeerNutsProductions.com,
1: and you're listening to Genuine Chit Chat Podcast with my pal, Mike Burton. And after you're done listening to Mike and his special guest for the week, why not head on over to BeerNutsProductions.com for some of our hilarious and original content? We've got a great range of movies, audio downloads, and so much more for you to enjoy. That's BeernutsProductions.com, the home of the world's greatest entertainment. And that's not overselling it. But for now, it's back over to you, Mike.
0: Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people, And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And I am here today with Scott Weatherly of the 20th Century Geek and Stories Out of Time and Space. Scott, how are you doing? And tell people about yourself.
1: Uh, Yeah, hi, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, actually. uh, It's it's good to be on. I love uh, listening to this. I'm I'm always honoured to be on another podcast and be getting getting, guested on, but uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, Tell about myself. Uh, as you said, 20th Century Geek, uh, the first podcast uh, that I started uh, in 2017. And I, I now do uh, another podcast, Stories Out of Time and Space, the sci fi movie review podcast I do with Julian Darius, who I sort of met through 20th Century Geek. Um, mm. So, other things, non sort of fun things. Uh, I work as a project manager for Barrett uh, Home Developments. That's it, we'll leave that because that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, everything else. So like, yeah, I love comics. I love reading. I love sci-fi and all, all the sort of pop culture stuff. So it's uh, as you can sort of see over my shoulders is my sort of as you referred to as my man cave, which has become sort of my from home office. Um, and here's where I keep all my toys and my comics and my books and uh, everything else. Um, which, to be fair, has been at times if anything just just off to my side here I've got another bookshelf you can't see and so there are times when you are on those you know your zoom calls or your, your team calls at work and my mind wanders and I think oh yeah I've, I haven't read that book in a while I'll pull out a Terry Pratchett and have a <laughs> flick through or I've got uh, I've got my my Harry Potter collection down here and uh, that sort of thing so I love it it's a safe environment for me <laughs>
0: That's lovely. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, um, to, the, to the left of me right now, you can't see there's actually a uh, Lego Millennium Falcon that we've awesome. put in there because, yeah, we, it was on top of uh, my tortoise's vivarium, but uh, the last week uh, my mum's managed to go to Lanzarote in this craziness, uh, one of the only places you can basically travel at the moment. Uh, she's managed to go to Lanzarote for a week and she has my tortoise wicket, her brother, they came mm. from the same, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, batch? Batch of tortoises. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, same parents they have, um, and uh, so we're looking after Humphrey. Is his name? So we've got two tortellinis in our uh, in our lounge at the moment, and. I've just got, I've got a few nerdy things, but I've kind of got, I've got in every room of the house, there's a little bit of nerdy stuff around, but I do have a couple of boxes of things that are are up there on the top of wardrobes, which when we move into a house, eventually, we've agreed we're going to put like shelves up and we're going to put like uh, pop vinyls up and all lots of crazy things. So it's funny you say about the Zoom thing, because... I do I do daydream quite a lot. I caught myself the other day, it was at one of those work ones they're giving us um, standard updates about how the business is doing and things, which is no real relevance to me. And I was just on my phone kind of scrolling through Reddit and I was like, I wonder if, and I started thinking about like audio books and different books I could listen to. And then everyone started saying goodbye on the, the meeting. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and they send meeting notes afterwards anyway and then yeah. it just, it's like five bullet points and I was on the meeting call for like an hour and it's like, but, <laughs> but regardless of my very boring life in that yeah. regard um, I wanted to ask uh, well actually a little caveat I just finished watching Good Omens is mm. that
1: Terry Pratchett is that a Terry Pratchett book? It, it, is well, it yeah it's, it's Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman um, mm. so the, the pair of them so uh, they probably it's one of the first things Neil Gaiman wrote actually because uh, mm. he was working on it at uh, um, ironically it was going to be a tv show oh okay uh, uh, and they couldn't get it to work because uh, i think if i'm right neil gaiman worked for whether it was the bbc or whatever but he worked for a tv station or production company and then they yeah they collaborated wrote it together and obviously after that he went on to write uh, neverwhere which was a tv show to begin with then it became a radio thing and a book and obviously from there he went on and wrote bunches of stuff really yeah it's it's, it's one of those
0: things because i'm when i started watching things it, it is. Is brilliant it's very clever and kooky and things like mm. that but i was like it's one of those shows that you watch and you're like this could only really be made now in yeah. the sense of like um in the sense of like special effects and things because like with hitchhiker's Guide of the galaxy as an example i absolutely adore the movie of that and i saw the movie before the bbc series mm. and i've only seen bits of the bbc series but it's like it's, it's a bit like some of the old episodes of doctor who you, you watch it and it's like it's so bad yeah you, it, it's like at times unwatchable and it's like I appreciate how they were working with what they had but some of it like I think in Hitchhiker's Guide um, Zephod the guy with two heads it's just like a paper mache head next to him
1: yeah it's um, Zephod is um, in, I, I actually quite like the BBC video but again because I saw it before the film it's one of those that's the problem yeah, yeah that's my issue um, and uh, it's, it's got a charm to it but I know what you mean like the thing when the sets wobble when people bump into them and, and you know I um, mean you say about Doctor Who the, the, the great thing of sort of like the TARDIS sets, which are sort of like look, they try and keep as plain as possible, so nothing breaks and that sort of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, T- time has time has um, not looked kindly on some on some of those TV shows. Um, also, although saying that, recently um, I did a uh, we on stories at time of space. We talked about a, a film called Quatermass and the Pit, okay, nineteen sixty seven uh, film oh, wow, uh, by yeah. Hammer. Uh, And uh, but the character Quatermass is a is a British sort of sci-fi creation that no one knows about today. Like you, you, I don't know. You've never heard of it. But what he was, he was it was he was born out of an era in the fifties when science was a thing. So if there was no Quatermass, there'd be no Doctor Who. Right, that's mm. it's as simple as that, really. But he was a scientist. He's sort of like gruff guy who was a bit of a scientist, and he, you know, he had the British Rocket Group. So it was all about that aspirational period in, in te- science and technology. And when the scientists could be heroes. So if you go back to these sort of things, there's, there's the Quatermass experiment, Quatermass Two, and then Quatermass and the Pit. But they started as these BBC multi-part dramas. And I went back, and they've re- they've just uh, uh, done an HD version of, of Quatermass and the Pit. And I was, I was like, cause I love the film. I love the Hammer film. It's great. And I thought, I'll go back. I need to watch the TV series. I was like, no, you say, I'll accept it if the, you know, if the special effects are a bit wonky and the sets look a bit iffy. And I watched it. I was like, some of this. I mean, some of the sets are dreadful because it looks like, you know, like someone's holding up a wall or something behind some stuff. <laughs> it's that bad. But some, some of this is shot on location and stuff. And it looks ace. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, this looks really good. So... Yeah, it clearly had more budget than Doctor Who had. I think at it was like an event series in the fifties. I think uh, the original Quatermass in the Pit was nineteen fifty-eight. I think uh, oh, maybe yeah. maybe wrong on that. After check, but um, yeah. So British sci-fi has always been a, has been a key thing. I mean, you know, you talk about Good Omens, which is more sort of fantasy, but mm. um, you know, one of the, this goes into one of the reasons I like I started twentieth century geek really for the, for this very reason is. I'm a real sort of like nerd for the past. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the stuff that's coming out now. You know, I am you know, love the MCU. I love all comic book films. I love all this other stuff. Yeah, you know, they're great. And as you say, special effects today, unparalleled, you know. Oh, yeah, it's mental. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. I mean, you know, there's some of the films, you know, that you can watch now. And even the stuff that's coming out just on like Netflix, like, uh, yeah exactly you know it's, oh, they haven't got very much of a bu- even see adverts i've seen adverts on t-
0: like I, I don't have uh regular tv so it's normally if i go for someone's house or at the cinema or youtube and you see some adverts and you're and they've got like a cgi man and there's some sort of space gimmick to sell insurance and you're like this has better cgi than films did in the 90s yeah. and it's like this is just a
1: fucking advert yes exactly i think so yeah these films have really benefited i think- One of the things I find that's interesting now is people bemoan sort of uh, CGI. Yeah, there's too much of it. It looks fake. And there was a there's a guy on YouTube. I forgot. I couldn't tell what it's called now. But basically, it's all about how he looks at like practical special effects, and then he looks at all different kinds of like how they work. Mm. And he made this really good special this video about CGI that was basically saying like it's best when you don't know it's there. And he talked Mm. about a couple of films and he showed you these examples. And it was a, a car chase. And it looks amazing. It was um, um, that, and then a Bond film as well. I think it was something from Quantum of Solace. Hmm. And it showed these like two chase scenes. And He says, "Look, look how good these are. This, you would, you, you would think this was practical. You know, these people are there. This is there. That's there." And he says, "Now let's take away the the CGI, and all these people disappear, and all these cars disappear, and all this other stuff." And he's like. There you go. That's when so that's when CG is working at its best. Like you did, it's mm. seamless. You did not know that this is like one guy running down a street, <laughs> and then all the other stuff's been put in, like you know that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think special effects have been have just become you know astounding. I mean, um, you you recently said before we start, just before we start recording, that you've been watching all the the Avengers movies.
0: Mm, and, um, yeah, yeah, with Megan and stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, I always go back to sort of uh, the end of uh, of Endgame, hmm. Avengers Endgame, and uh, the 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 scene of um, you know you get a broken you know Thor's down, Iron Man's down. You get Cap just stood there, broken hmm. shield, and he's got the hammer. It's him stood stood alone. I even goosebumps, but like stood alone I was just him. thinking that yeah, that scene is it's just insane. insane. <laughs> yeah, and then the portals open and stuff, right? And when you see like what that looks like in reality you know it's all the green around and Mm. the canvas and just the bits and pieces like and you think look I get when I saw that the first time I was my jaw was on the floor I was so invested in that film because it looks ace and I think the people that do the simple special effects not massive explosions but the people that put in things like lighting effects and uh your basic sort of you know your backgrounds and all that sort of stuff gets overlooked but it makes such a massive difference um because mm. that scene is just in just the way it's framed and everything like yeah the, the Russo brothers would have shot it but they shot it and then handed it to someone and were like we want it to look like this <laughs> they made it happen and I think that's the sort of bit that I think gets missed at times so yeah modern films are amazing but um
0: yeah I was gonna say as well. It's it's one of those things with um with practical effects as well. It, it's such a weird thing because I, it's always comparable to uh, Doctor Who once again. But if with like the newer ones with the tenth, eleventh, so on mm. Doctors and things. Um, I watched the, I watched all the Chris Fackleston and all the David Tennant, and then I just kind of trailed off. Um, but it's like you get some episodes which they've clearly got a lot of budget for. And the special effects looks, as in the CGI looks amazing, and then the, the, the well, it's still special effects, but like the physical real effects of costumes mm. looks on point. And they normally have like one to three episodes per season, which clearly lost all the budget. And you're watching it and you're like, this is, <laughs> even now you're like, oh, this is not like obviously 10 years ago now, plus I think uh, Eccleston was 2005, so 15 years ago now. And that is in movie terms is like almost centuries yeah yeah. because i want to ask as well i'm jumping from thing to thing because i keep remembering things i was going to say this about the special effects is have you seen the videos on how they did the mandalorian
1: not all of them on on disney plus
0: yeah i haven't watched them specifically but i've watched i think i cheated and watched one of the videos about the the screen with the uh the video game graphics do you know about that yes it's insane i don't know if you know more about it than me i know like vague bullet points no i just i just i watched
1: a short video on it and uh, i know that, so are, yeah yeah and sony uh have done a bunch of work on it as well and apparently they used it for the new ghostbusters film but mm. basically yeah they could basically they put things in it and the, the walls are just projections aren't they but it looks yeah like
0: so real trying to describe it to people it's almost like if you got if you almost got like a cube but you took one of the, the like one of the squares off the cube mm-hmm. and then you stepped into that and it, all the walls are projected but i think it was like it's run on unreal engine they've got loads of computers that are running basically uh, for people who are not nerds have uh, for a good example of Unreal, I think there's giz of War, but the, a recent one is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, mm. which obviously for Mandalorian. So they made Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order in Unreal Engine and then they could use that same engine and the textures and all that sort of stuff to make the backgrounds and things in Mandalorian and whatnot. So now they've just got like a small, I can't remember, I think it's about Ten by ten meters or something, where the actors actually stand, where they've got the practical effects of the speeder bikes or that jazz. But all the rest of it, it's not a green screen anymore. You can actually literally see it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you uh, McGregor said, because he got asked about, is he excited about the Kenobi series? Because I don't think, it, or when he was uh, when he was asked about it, it hadn't been sh- it hadn't started shooting or anything. And he said one of the things he's most excited is all the effects and stuff. Because if you watch the behind the scenes of the prequel trilogy, especially. I mean, the prequel trilogy in itself did so much for special effects, including Jar Jar, which is like really underrated because of how there's many flaws in those films. But he was like, you see the back end of the scenes thing and it's like you see him and um, Hayden Christensen wandering around and it's it's almost all blue screens. And he was like, it's so hard to visualize that you're on a pit of lava fighting but he's like he's so excited to do the Kenobi series because they make everything... What you see is is very, very similar to what the actors are seeing while doing it. Yeah. And I think that's going to change... I mean, that's going to change Disney+, because it means that everything they can do, they can do it at, like, a quarter of the budget.
1: Oh, but it's going to yeah. change the game. Well, it's funny you say that, because one of the things they were talking about when, on the Sony one that I watched, when they were talking about they showed it, and what they did was they basically had Ecto-1, because they showed it using the Ghostbusters thing, and they were like... And they had someone sat in it, and they were like, go... And you sort of saw the car the, the the camera lot zooms around it and you got the, the backgrounds all moving and stuff. And it looks incredible. The car's not moving. Right? Like, <laughs> nothing's happening. But the, the guy's, like, reacting and stuff. You're like, you're right, this is it. It's almost recorded. What it is, though, it's, not, it's a new technology, an old concept. Mm. Um, and um, it's because it's rear projection. All this is is rear projection that's been around literally since the birth of cinema. Um, you know, I mean, it's got better, like, you know, phenomenally better. Cause you say about special effects and I, I still love like practical effects and, and, you know, uh, puppetry and, 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 that, and, uh, matronics, but rear projection on things has got a charm to it. There's mm-hmm. a charm to those sorts of like, you know, it looks a bit shit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it doesn't look right. And one of those things, when you see someone drop, um, were a good example there's fil- films where whenever there's a car chasing, if you go back to like a fifties or a forties film or something, like that, and there's a car chase and you'll get like the shot of the two people in the front car and he's driving like this and his, ha- his hands are going mental on the steering wheel. Like if he was doing that, the wheels would be all over the place, but you get this sort of like, you can clearly see that like, behind the car is a screen that's projecting a road that someone has filmed and stuff. And you think, it looks a bit shonky and it looks a bit awful, <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying it. And then as you go, as it goes on and on and on, um, there was a, uh, what film did I say it was? Uh, Eyes Wide Shut, which is the 90s, mm-hmm. obviously one of the last Kubrick film. There's a sh- there's a shot in that of um, uh, Tom Cruise walking down the street. It's, it's it, I can't tell you the part of the film, but it's basically him walking down, on, down the street at night um, in New York. And it looks great. It's just, it's just a standard shot. And then you watch the special features and go, yeah, he was never in New York at that point. It was a rear projection. He was just walking along on a, on a treadmill. Basically, mm. and they've just filmed it, and the like, that's why the the script obviously is a video that's run behind him and stuff, and they've they've tidied it up, and so it's this technology that sort of this this idea has just stuck around and got better and better and better. But now one of the things they were talking about with this, which I think is fascinating, because you say it's not huge, this box isn't mm. its No, room. it's not
0: that big at all. No, and, it's, exactly, it's like a standard almost double bedroom in someone's house.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you could literally like you know decamp this thing and take it anywhere. So one of the things they were saying was, yeah, when we do filming now, especially with this social distancing and stuff, like you haven't got to go onto location or you haven't got to do this, you haven't got to do that. You could literally just put this in the back of a van and go somewhere. Like, all right. Or as like you said, we could just do it in a studio. Like it makes it so flexible. Um, mm. It'd be interesting to see how it all sort of pans out. Because I think people will take advantage of it, especially Disney+. Plus. Oh, yeah. Um, um, you know, especially with things like... Um, one division and that's meant to obviously get go all strange and and uh... i was
0: gonna say exactly those examples yeah it's i i don't know how they're gonna do it with with some of the bigger budget films i i don't know if it translates this easily but i don't know if like because when you saw uh, the prequels being filmed example you know or even avengers movies they're in this almost like a giant atrium of green screen and there's like even like when i think it was jungle book the remake of that when you watch the the human boy who's the only practical air quotes for practical effect he's the only real thing there <laughs> yeah. along like everything else and interacting with people wearing crazy green screen costumes and things you're thinking surely if they can scale it up properly which I'm sure they probably already can if it would cost a lot of money is a giant room then you could have you know, 50 people in there and it's as you say it's and they can marry together because I, I think with sci-fi one of the things sci-fi's always done is push the boundaries of of special effects, both mm. practical and computer-generated. And the Doctor Who and Red Dwarf and a lot of these other shows and things, you look at them now and you go, oh, that's a bit cheesy, or uh, I think the term they use a lot of the time to describe Doctor Who and things is that's a bit camp and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But the, the marrying of special effects and of CG and also like makeup and things, if you can get that right, which I think a lot of the time a lot of these big shows do, it looks unfathomably real it looks like you look at it you go no, that's beyond a shadow of a doubt real because they've done it so expertly and it's, it's an exciting time
1: it does it blends seamlessly now i mean the things i've looked to in the last couple of decades well no the last couple of years as you say it moves now that fast you know mm. um you mentioned let's say the last 20 years you mentioned jaja right? Mm-hmm. So Jar Jar is one of the first, and like, we have discussed this at length previously, but like <laughs> it has its flaws, but it's a special effect. That was, that was groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to the extent that they really weren't sure if it was going to work. And the guy who played him actually at one point had a full body prosthetic. Yeah. Um. And But it works and it works fine for the, for the year, for 99, you know, it sort of looks fine. But when you go back and look at it now, you can go, yeah, I can see the seams. But as mm. with everything, and then like you know, you get two thousand and what was it two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand two, you get two towers, Lord of the Rings, you get Andy Circus doing Gollum, and you go, oh, that's a, that's a leap forward, that's amazing. And then you know, sometime later, you get the first Planet of the Apes movie, you get Circus playing the young Caesar, and then you know, you go through that trilogy, and then you get um, Avatar. And you know, and all of a sudden, you're like, Yeah, at what point do you just stop needing actors? Like, (laughs) (laughs) do you mean at some point you could have anyone like you and I could sit there and go, Yeah, they're great actors, but they don't look right. You know, they don't have a Stallone body or a, or a, you know, another one could do, she doesn't look like Rob, you know, Margot Robbie. You go, Mm. Doesn't matter anymore. Can they act? Yeah, right. Get some dots on their face and we'll make the actors up. Mm. It's going to happen.
0: I, I don't disagree it, it, it's exactly that it's like I mean some of the technology it's not quite the same but it's very similar as what they've been doing with de-aging recently yeah. I can't remember what film it was but I think like Al Pacino was in it and De Niro and they oh the, the, the Irishman yeah the Netflix that was, yeah yeah mm. you see the when you watch the film you just go oh god Al Pacino looks good and then you watch the, <laughs> yeah. on YouTube the side by side comparison of before and after post and pre-production you're like fuck me yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's dying on one side he looks like his own son on the other it's I see, yeah, they've literally just propped him up <laughs> so,
1: yeah <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is incredible. And, and I, I, you know, because one of those things that you sort of see back in the day, you'd have like a film where you'd have to have a flashback and you'd go, right, we've got to get a younger a- an actor who looks similar to this older actor. Just, you know, no, don't need that anymore. You know, um, I mean, even what was it? Tron, Tron Legacy, I think it was with yeah, Jeff the I think that was one of the first, one of the first
0: times. Um, yeah.
1: But what was it? Iron Man, uh, whatever film was, uh, Civil War or whatever, was it where um, Robert Downey Jr. plays. Um, i think it um, is um, himself for the for the opening, yes, yes yes yeah for the opening scene and stuff you know like, it looks incredible like they, they can just do it now um shame you can't do it on zoom calls because that's sort of
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that's the next step i mean even snapchat it was now when you get the ones that there's snapchat and there's a few other things as well you know there's the app that went around that uh a year or two ago there's a fad which you know the aging and deaging yes. thing and that happens every, I remember that about five, six, seven years ago and it was really quite crap, but you take a photo of your face and that makes you really fat or old. Mm. But now it's like even Snapchat filters, just silly little things that seemingly primarily really young or really old people love. And you do it and it's like, there's ones where it can make you look like you know Trump or Kanye West or yeah. someone famous. And it looks weird because it's that uncanny valley,
1: but it's, Still, it's so close yeah.
0: for something that's basically just a, a free little cheap fun
1: app. The, th- the funny thing is, I mean, you, you say about actors, the other thing that's sort of in, in, in this sort of special effects is there's a film being produced at the moment. I'm not sure how far along it's gone, but it's got the first artificial intelligence actor in it. That's scary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I've, I read about it and I was like, wow. And they're like, you know, they will not play like a big part, but it's, it's still going to be in that film. They're still going to be a part of the film. It's a sci-fi film. Um, Google it, find out. what's the first artificial intelligence sort of actor. Um but yeah, one of the things that sort of like always crosses my mind is if we're thinking that's what we're seeing. You just said about Snapchat, right? There's actually, I downloaded it the other day. There's an app called Real Real Tick or something. And it's an it's an AI friend. Right? Right. And I was like, that's fascinating. I'm gonna download that to have the because basically what it is, you build this this you download it, you put in some preferences, like, you know, is it going to be male female? Is it young old? Is it a mentor? Is it a friend? Is it a romantic partner? Blah, blah, blah. How chatty do you want them to be? And all this other stuff. And then basically, it's a text app where you oh, it, you get a text message and you can get phone calls off it. I didn't go that far. That was creepy. <laughs> um, but you get a text message off it and it's like, hi, hi, how are you? Do you want to chat? And I was like, I was curious. So I started texting back and you end up in a conversation I was like, what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on that? And it's answering questions that I'm offering into it. And I was like, if this is what's going on in an app that I've got on my phone, I've just gone in and I've downloaded it and I'm off to the races. Um, What is it that the most advanced like, site, so, you know, laboratories have got, mm. if there are computer scientists out there, advanced stuff, like they must be leaps. And well, what is the cutting edge? At what mm. point does Skynet take over? Basically, <laughs>
0: <laughs> i thought the exact same thing because, like, with um, I've had conversations with uh, Megan when we've watched certain sci-fi films and things like that. And we've had like you know chats afterwards, thinking, "Oh, you know, amazing if this could be a thing." And you hear like the odd uh leak i think one of the converse i think one of the things was it was jurassic park we were talking about and we were talking about uh, megan's asked would it theoretically be possible and i was like we haven't to my knowledge we haven't perfected cloning technology it's a bit more complicated but in theory it could maybe happen if we had it but i said there was an article that was on the bbc and i, I don't know if it was a hoax i don't think it was but there's an article on the bbc that apparently some scientists uh made a chicken with the head of a dinosaur or s-
1: something like that recently. It was in the last ye- couple years, yeah, because right. yeah, these things keep happening. Where I read this, mm. you know what they did recently, don't you? What they, they create, woody mammoth? No, oh no, they've done that before. They created the first T Rex embryo. Oh, shit. yeah, like it's one of those things when you oh, seriously, again, it was a news article that popped up. Like, they didn't take it any further, obviously, they kill it before it becomes viable life, but they're like, no, we did it, we find this down at DNA, and you're just thinking, like. Did, did nobody watch Jurassic Park in your lab? Like, you know, we know where this leads. Um, and I, I do. I wonder what's going on. I mean, we, you know, we cloned a sheep decades ago. You know, Dolly. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, this this technology is doable. There's just legislation in place that stops us from cloning humans uh, from stem cells. Yeah. And stuff. Doable. And who say it hasn't happened? Um, but I'm not going to get any conspiracy theorists, but.
0: Well, no, but it's exactly as you say, because me and Megan discuss discussed things quite a lot, and it's been like, I've, I've said that because of, I've, I've watched an odd documentary on it, I can't remember the full details, or it might have just been a really long podcast, I can't <laughs> remember, but like, they were talking about how technology to the public now and then there's military technology and then there's experimental technology. Yeah. And it's like experimental technology is like five to ten years ahead of of uh, military. And then the military is like five to ten years ahead of us. Mm. And I was saying that like the only reasons we've got um, satellites and sat-navs and things... That wasn't, oh, we want the whole world to have sat-navs, it's nice. It was military satellites going up for tracking and things. And then they realised it was so easy and cheap with the technology they already had to just allow the data to be given to private companies for, you know, being able to see uh, uh, roads and things. And that, like, I'm talking in layman's terms, obviously, but, like, that way... They've done that, and that—that's why we've got satellites and things. Because the military were trying to do it, and it was like an almost—it's almost like a little add-on. Yeah. And there's so many things with like you know, phones. I've—I've I've said before, and th- this is almost like a conspiracy theory, but it's a very obvious one, which is the phone battery life. Now they can make one. The, the one they've actually are making at the moment is probably the one we're not going to get for like twenty years. Yeah. Because. Obviously, the way it works, the public sector, uh, the private sector. You know, they release the iPhone and then the Android makes the better one, and then the iPhone goes, "Oh, it's the iPhone S," and there's a better, one. and there's just constantly these tiny little jumps mm. because it's the, There's no point the if if Apple tomorrow released the iPhone one million and it was a battery life that could last eight years, there'd be no point because it would waste all the almost all the time in the middle.
1: And it's, well, it's it's fair to say, yeah, no, you're right because the. the... And again, it comes down to conspiracy theories, and I don't think, like, say, you're neither you or I are doctors or or, of any sort of, (laughs) you know, like I say, we keep it in layman's terms. But and I could, we could be miles off, like, but you know, there is talk, like I say, with energy, you know, this this thing around fossil fuels as well. Like there are, you know, I, I read these articles and stuff, and there were scientists saying to you, like, no, we could stop using fossil fuels tomorrow if we wanted. Like, granted, your cars and that would stop, but like. We, we could switch things up and we could carry on because and you know forget solar forget all this there are other ways of doing this um because they have proven like tesla started this thing about he was trying to prove that there is electricity to be generated out of thin air and this video i watched was like basically proved it. it was like no no there is like it's not it's not you know masses like you know you couldn't power a house off like a, what's inside your house but like yeah there are other ways of generating energy like this this scientist was like you want kinetic energy the earth is spinning constantly it's travelling through space like you know we we we're surrounded by kinetic energy and all of other stuff and um it's like we just don't tap into it could we tap into it yeah of course we could we don't because all the money goes to where the where you know these rich billionaires want it to go which is into fossil fuels and blah blah so yeah and that's one of the things i find fascinating about science fiction you know it's these technologies especially when you do go back to the old technologies and um you know you can see when when times are crap dystopian futures become the 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 norm and when times are good you get like a hopeful future you know so uh you know you get like star trek and and Gene Roddenberry, you know, allowing creating that out of the sixties, you know, that sort of sixties mm. mentality of hope and love, free love and you know exploration and all this other stuff comes out of the sixties, and then you know in the sort of seventies and eighties you've got the nuclear threat and all of a sudden it's these things <laughs> of like we're all dead, the terminal, you know, the robots are going to take over, we're done for. I and mean, so what what happened to this the Enterprise? It was burnt. <laughs> <laughs> um, And that's what happens. I mean, if you look at like, again, more recently, the nineties, you get sort of quite, again, even though um, Jurassic Park was a, ends up being a bit of a disaster, but it's about, it's about hopeful technology. It's about new life and new exploration. And then you get things like even dumb films like um, Demolition Man, you know, it's about a hopeful future where they've sort of like, they've cleaned up and, you know, they've done things the right way and all this other stuff. Like when you get into a period of uh, success, then you get those things. And now we're going into, well, let's be honest, the world's in an absolute shit state. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the stuff that will come out of this will reflect that, you know, that there will be mm. this. the idea of the future's bleak and we need to do something about it.
0: Yeah, it, it's just one of those.
1: It, it, it's, it's
0: like you say, because it, it's interesting with trends uh, as well with movies and things, because, you know, there's, It's almost like with with sci-fi and fantasy that they're very closely intermingled, but they're kind of look looking the opposite ways, isn't it? Because like fantasy, for majority of the time, is you know Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, that sort of stuff. It's generally like medieval time, swords, but normally with magic and dragons and crazy Mm. shit. And then sci-fi is the same but the opposite, and that's why you know Star Wars. People say is technically a space fantasy film because when you you look ahead, but obviously Galaxy Far Far Away, whatever. But it's like. It's all these these potentials, you know. You can have space travel and hyperspace makes no sense, but it's in all sci-fi films because it's an easy fun thing to do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, cool! Because cool you click a button and just appear, you know, so many unfathomable light years away, traveling so unfathomably fast with no consequence whatsoever. That is so cool. And it's like, it's that weird thing. I love both fantasy and sci-fi. I think I like sci-fi a little bit more, but they they both are the other opposite sides of the coin. But kind of once looking back at Legend and like. uh Uh, uh, romanticizing almost history of being like oh it would be cool if there was you know dragons and magic and things back Mm. 400 years ago whatever and then sci-fi is like it'd be cool if in 400 years we could travel and meet you know a planet full of nice people (laughs) you know what i mean
1: yeah i think i mean you know when when you look at um and that's really the point about sort of the idea of fantasy and again you can get hopeful and, and sort of dystopian fantasies as well that sort of you know and being very reflective of their time, but I find I find with fantasy, like you say, it's a bit more, and I'm more into cypher itself than, than fantasy. I've read a bit of fantasy, but I find that there's always that. Um, in both, there's a there's a what called the magic get out, like literally in, in fantasy, it's usually magic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in sci-fi, it's like, well, we've also got this technology, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this magic thing this that you've got your head dead. decapitated. But if we get your head back on your body within two minutes, we can use the
1: plasma torch, and suddenly he's okay. That, that that's sort of it. Thing. Yeah, this sort of thing of like sort of the do ex machina of, of like, don't worry, every problem is solved by this technology. And you sort of go, <laughs> oh, it does make things a little too easy at times. And and so, you know, it's it's fun when those things are sort of pulled back, which is sometimes why I prefer dystopian future sci-fi. Um, mm. Because it can say things uh, that you know that others can't. I mean, t- to me, I think one of the one of the best films, the be- one of the best sci-fi films that, that comments on things and got they've probably got more things right than they got wrong, and, and people probably aren't willing to admit it. Admit it is RoboCop. Oh yes, I assume you mean the original, not the remake. Yeah, not the remake. <laughs> I don't that. Although the remake's not bad, but like, the original, like the, yeah. one of the things that Verhoeven does in that is it's it's, it's a comment on corporate eighties America. You know the whole thing, uh, the, the militarization of the police, um, you know the, the corporatization of the police, which is potential sort of privatization. Um, but then also, I love the fact that the adverts are dispersed within it, mm. and the news cycle. You know, give us was it? Uh, the, I forget what it's called now. It's World News, but give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. <laughs> and these little news segments that keep coming up. What's that? That's no different to any news thing that happens now. Uh, you know, the 24-hour news cycle and all the crazy, stupid adverts that sort of happen. Now. 100%. You watch Robocop now and you can go, yeah, it's a great kick-ass action film. And it is. I love Robocop. It's great. Um, but so so much, so much of the commentary that it it, it produces, like, you look at it now and you go, yes. Unfortunately, it's quite accurate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the weird things with... Um... With a lot of sci-fi, I mean, there's the dystopian future sci-fis, which are the two that spring to mind immediately or fairly recent ones, which are um, Book of Eli and Children of Men, mm. which they're, they're, they're quite similar in theme where like an event of some d- description has happened, which has caused uh, almost, we're basically an extinction event, essentially. I've seen Children of Men, it's infertility, and I, I can't remember what it is in Book of Eli, I don't know if it's water, or I've only seen it film like once or twice, but it's those sort of films where there's so much to be said and they're almost little warnings and things as well I mean even, even like The Matrix I mean obviously it yeah. was a 90, well, late 90s film but it's it's about the, the first thing that, that Morpheus really tells Neo when he kind of you know he takes the pill and opens his eyes to everything and it's like well basically we created technology and things and it got too powerful we tried to destroy it by stopping the sun they adapted and we screwed ourselves over and it's like that sounds way too close to the grain yeah. almost <laughs> that's why Matrix yeah. one of the many reasons Matrix is so brilliant it's it's crazy.
1: I always like I always like to think of uh, the the Terminator franchise as a prequel to uh, the the Matrix films as well, sort of like link mm. the two up. Um, no, I agree. Like, you know, you see these things of of you know dystopian futures, and I think the other thing as well is you can sort of see how society in different countries approaches these things. Uh, America, you know, really sort of uh, when they want it, they'll, they'll do the odd dystopian, but they like they prefer the, the optimistic future or well, they have up until recently, they'll always try and have this thing of like, you know, the, thing, the funny thing is, if, if there'll, be, there'll be certain people in, in America that'll have watched Robocop in the 80s and sort of, they'll have been rah, rah, rah for OCP. You know, they'd have thought OCP was the good guys in that film. Um, just, but like you go to Europe and, you, you know, you, if you look at like French, uh, French in particular, but like French and, and sort of uh, some sort of Italian and sort of but that sort of region of their sci-fi, it's really like it's, it's 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 very lyrical. It's very poetic. You get um, it's very saga esque in sort of there's a there's a, oh, forget the guy's name. Um, I just find out, but he wrote a, a series of books called the the Meta uh, Wait, wait, the the, the artist of them died recently, actually in the last sort of year. Beautiful, beautiful books, but it, it, they're bizarre and crazy. Um, but it follows like this, this saga of these things called the Metabarons and they're the, the defenders of this sort of family and thing but like, no other country would write this stuff like it goes all over the place and it's really sort of like you know it's, it's like an epic saga in sci-fi and um you know it, it just is very european you know it's not it's not dystopian it's not hopeful it just is and they're telling this yeah. story in this very particular way um and it, you know i mean one of the characters literally has his head blown off and then survives and but with so the robot head and, and then has children and stuff and it's it's all very weird, but it's brilliant. Uh, but they get things like, like the Incal, who the same guy wrote that. And, and uh, Barbarella was a French, uh, originally like a French book. Like this, this sort of like just French uh, comics are, are just so much more expressive. Uh, and, and you know, they explore these things in a, they're not so worried about what the future is going to be like, hopefully. They just put people in these futures and go, this is the setting. we <laughs> are going to tell this cool story. And it's really interesting. British, I find, British sci-fi is more dystopian. We're the sort of like, you get, even Doctor Who, like, it tries to be hopeful. You get characters that are hopeful, but how often is it that he travels to the future and it's sort of like, well, you fucked this up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like At no point is it like he doesn't get to the future and like, look, you've done amazing things. It's like you went here and you basically killed off a of species or you've turned up in your planets now, this or whatever. Like it's the Doctor Intervenes to protect, you know, to protect or change, but the futures are very often not good. You know, um, we just seem to like it. I mean, you know, I, it comes back to many things, but close to my heart is obviously Judge Dredd as well. You know, uh, started in nineteen seventy-seven, and, and and you have this thing of like just sort of like again this idea of I mean, it's, it's a it's the Brit, it's an American megacity and this idea of the the American police again probably a bit too close to home at the moment. But again, it's a very, it's a very cynical future. But it's not told without humour. Like that's the thing we like to laugh at these things. And so, you can read the vast majority of Judge Dredd stories, and there's an there's an element of like just ludicrousness to it about it. Like dread's going to be the straight man. So if anyone who's not listening, Judge Dredd character at 2000 AD, um, the the comic anthology magazine from the seventies through to now. He's a cop of the future. So he's he's sort of like judge, jury and executioner. So he can he can either sentence you to a crime or he can execute you on the spot. All the same to him. And, you know, you will get like three years for dropping litter, you know, that sort of thing. Like it's quite sort of severe crimes. And he's like the lead judge um, of, you know, he's sort of like the legend. Most of the stuff. But like, all the stories are told with this element of like just, not lunacy, there's some, there's some really dark stuff in there as well at times, they get very serious. But they'll always put like a joke in there, or there'll be this sort of twist, or there's sort of like, I mean, they cover things like um, the idea of it is in the future because of mechanisation, like very few people have got a job, unemployment is skyrocketing, so people have got hobbies to to waste time, like they have like um, you know, competitive dishwashing, or um, there's a guy called there's a character called Otto Sump, and he's like I can make you ugly, so he instead of beauty products, they have ugly products, and then they'll have ugly competitions or they have like the league of fatties, which are people so obese, they have a belly wheel to move around. And yeah, or they they just create these, like, you know, but all this exists in this world. And then, so you'll have some, you know, they have like, um, uh, one of the early stories called the apocalypse war, which was sort of uh, confronting the sort of the American and, and Russian cold war at the time. And in it, like throughout it basically, East Meg, East, the Russians fire nuclear weapons on Mega City One and it erupts into a war. And although you see these like areas of devastation, you will then see like one of these guys that's from the League of Faties lying there with a belly wheel on. You know, like, there's just this little bit of like, you know, yeah, this is ridiculous in this absolute, you know, destruction and all this other stuff. And that's a, I mean, that's a really good example of that British take of, like, Judge Dredd's supposed to be the hero. He is the protagonist of that series. Like, you know, you go back to him again and again and again. But at the end of that story, you would think, that like, he would take the high ground. Like, you know, they, they defeat the... Um, spoilers for anyone who's ever going to read this. It, it's like a 40-year-old comic. Um, <laughs> but he, they defeat the Russians. And he goes in, they invade, and they defeat the Russians. He takes down the sort of the chief judge of, um, of East Meg. And you think, that should be it. That's what they should do. Nope. Judge Dredd then presses the big red button and kills them all with nuclear weapons because <laughs> it's like an eye for an eye. You killed my city, I'm going to kill yours. And you're like, this is supposed to be the hero. Like, like, mm. And it's I love the fact that they did that. They sort of stick the knife in and twist it that little bit. And I think that's a real British sensibility for sci-fi. They just we don't we don't like it to be we we can't sort of grasp things being a hundred percent positive. Yeah. Uh, we we kind of like it to be a little bit grubby and a little bit wrong, you know, a little bit negative, cynicism. Yeah. We, we need to have our cynicism, um, otherwise we get. Sort That's of, a very British trait. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't, we don't like to. I mean, you you mentioned Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf's the same. I, I was about to. I was
0: my next point. I was literally going to say is the funny thing is of Red Dwarf is that it's almost it's almost like a, if you had a director change, it would be a completely different show because there's one guy who his entire crew's dead and then depending on how far you go through the series it's become quite apparent that pretty much all the human race is gone um, and it's like because six million years or however long it's been and it's like he's him by himself with the hologram of his mate obviously Cat uh, the who's basically because of his descent of his cat and then Crichton and that's the main four apart from you know a couple of other people like Holly and things and it's like that could you could turn that into the most depressing film ever, the uh, depressing series ever made. As a guy by himself, and he does have in most episodes, there's these moments of him being alone, and he's feeling really down. He's you know never going to see a woman again, even though mm. you know, series seven eight he does. But it's you know it's it's that whole thing of where it's like yeah, life is really shit, but it's actually really funny as well. And that's kind of Red Dwarf. It's like yeah, we know how crap and terrible life can be. Like he's stuck on a ship by himself, going probably mental with nothing to do. But it's quite funny, though, isn't it? And it's the same the other way around. Like, when you get British films that are incredibly depressing, you do get these little, like, flickers of, mm. of uh, humour. Yeah. It, it, it's like what you said about uh, Star Wars in a lot of ways. Not to get to Star Wars to conversation, but when you said one of the issues of some of the new films compared to the old ones is humour f- compared to being actually funny. Yeah. And I think the British stuff is very much humour. It's like you snigger at it almost while something horrendous is happening.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's just true, exactly. I think Red Dwarf's a really good example of that. Of that deals, Red Dwarf seems to be able to deal, when it's at its best, it deals with big sci-fi ideas and big emotional ideas while still making you smile. And there are times when you look at it and you go, I'm not sure why I'm smiling at this, but it's funny. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, there are episodes when, like, you know, Crichton one of the early sort of, when Quint's first introduced, and they have the idea of he's reached the end of his service life and he's going to be replaced. And his replacement is coming to kill them. Basically, if he doesn't switch himself off, this replacement will kill him. And Mm. Lister's saying to him, like, how do do you comprehend that? Like, how does that process for you as an android? And Quint's like, oh, I'm completely fine with it because when I die, I'm going to go to Silicon Heaven. Mm. And Lister's like, what? You think robots go to heaven? And he's like, well, yes, that's what I believe. That's, and it's like, like,
0: calculators. Where do all the calculators
1: go? (laughs) Such a good life. Um, (laughs) But there's this concept of like faith and accepting death and all this other stuff, and it deals with it. But like, it then still has jokes about a talking toaster that are trying to make them convince them to eat toast. (laughs) You know, it balances out so, so well. I mean, one of the. They keep doing it. I mean, you know, some of the early seasons are wonderful. I mean, we've, we just, you've said like as for stories at time and space, we've, we're doing like an epic review. We've done every series. And um, when it went to Dave UK TV, I TV, was we really worried. About, oh, it's not going to be the same. It's a bit hit and miss. But they did an episode recently called, uh, it's called Crisis. And it's about Crichton. I'm not, I don't know if you've seen it, but like... Uh, just to say, I may have done, I've seen, I've seen obviously the main eight and yeah. then they did the
0: Back to Earth special, which I was not a fan of. And then I think they did X, yeah. which I thought was surprisingly brilliant. Mm. It had like a couple of naf episodes. And then they did, I think there's two more. Yeah. And I I think I've plan. seen... Yeah, I I haven't seen Promise. Land. I think I've seen parts of the one before that, but it gets a bit hazy at that point.
1: So yeah, because the, 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 the sort of... Um, Ten is good. Ten is actually a really good solid series. And I was quite surprised... Yeah, well, well there's an episode in 12 called crisis i recommend it because crisis ha- basically Crichton has a midlife crisis um and he turns up in like a he changes his bodywork to like ferrari red and he's got like <laughs> headlights on it and all this other stuff and it's concrete it's, it's really funny but basically it's this dealing with because all the characters have hit middle age because this series is <laughs> going for, since 1988 and so, like, they deal with this idea of midlife crisis, and, and especially for them, because they're all stuck in space, deep space, three million years in deep space, no no other alternative to living with these guys. And the repetition and all this other stuff, like, and it deals with it in this episode that's hilarious, because Crichton comes, comes across another 4,000-series mechanoid, called butler mm. and he's like oh he's going to be rubbish isn't he because you you know having lived with lister and and rimmer and the cat like i've got all these new things i can do this and i can do that i can lie and i can cheat and it's all these negative things but like he's really proud of them and then you expect him butler to be like he was in series three and you meet mm. him and like this butler's like a real renaissance guy like he can paint he's writing novels and so this. <laughs> it really breaks Crichton a little bit but the end of the episode, sort of like the whole point of episode, they're actually looking for this space station so they can communicate with the universe. Mm. Uh, literally the universe um, uh, is, an, is, an, is a physical living entity that you can communicate with. And that's how the episode ends, them talking to the universe. But in typical Red Dwarf fashion, like it, uh, it's Crichton communicating with the, the universe. And he has this sort of realisation that he is a part of a bigger thing and all this other stuff. And it sort of seems to resolve his midlife crisis and about, you know, where all things die, and yes, but I'm only halfway, so I've still got all this to go, and all this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, look, the universe is, well, yes, all things do die, and well, I'm, I'm about halfway through my existence. So the, the, episode, the episode literally ends with Crichton giving the universe a midlife crisis. <laughs> and it's wonderfully done, and it's wonderfully played, and you're like, only Red Dwarf can do that without you going, oh, that was stupid. You know, it's sort of... I think so, Red yeah. Dwarf
0: is, like, one of the most underrated TV shows out there, I find. Because, like, I watched it... I remember my dad showing it to me when I was quite young. Because mm-hmm. um, it was on... I don't, I don't know what channel it was on at the time, because I think it was, like, eight or something. Uh, and he showed me, because he said, oh, I used to uh, like watching this and stuff. And he showed me the, the first few episodes of the series. And I thought it was incredible. Because when you're a young kid, it's silly and funny enough. You've got characters like Cat and, obviously, Lister in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of silliness to it, which works. And then... I watched it, I watched he, he um, was thrilled that I got into it. So he bought the, the sort of eight series box set and things. I, I watched it and loved it. And I showed my mate Kieran. And this is when we were about 14, I think. Mm. And we we watched it, obviously I rewatched watched it and Kieran was watching it for the first time. And then there's even, there's another layer of things you find funny. And it's, I think the perfect, it's almost timeless things, especially when it comes to comedy, because comedy is so hard to, to yeah. keep. Good, like comedy. You watch a lot of films from even thirty years ago, and it is—they're just not funny anymore. <laughs> and it—it's it, such a weird thing. But Red Dwarf, and I think a lot of shows like well, I say a lot of shows like that. I can't even name one, but it, it shows with certain feel to where it's a mixture of comedy, but they do have serious matter. It keeps it grounded, mm. and there's there's so many cool and clever and brilliant ideas in there. I mean, I think my personal favourite episodes of Red Dwarf are all the ones of the polymorph. Well, I think mm. well, I think there's two or three. And it's just, it's it's such an It's almost so obvious and almost it's like, oh come on. But then you see it happen, you're like, this is genius. Yeah. Just getting a character you know and love, and you go, what's their most annoying or what's their most obvious trait? Oh, it's this. Well, whatever a creature comes in and takes it away from them, what what they left with. Yeah. And I think Rimmer, when he's got, I think it's his anger taken away, I think it's the second polymorph. That him everything he says in that episode is some of my favorite dialogue of anything ever, and it's just when Chris Barry's like he's got his um, little pipe and he's like, "This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go full force. We're gonna go hard. We're not gonna pull any punches. We'll do a full to campaign yeah. against him." Yeah. And uh, every time I watch that, it just kills me because it, it's just so perfectly done. And you got Dwayne Dibley. My dad used to have a top with uh <laughs> with Dwayne Dibley, and it going, "Oh, Dwayne Dibley." Yeah. Uh, it. It's such... I, I wish more and more people would go and watch Red Dwarf because it's it's so brilliant.
1: I, I, Red Dwarf is one of the, like, you're so right. But underrated. It, it's a, it's a it's a gem. I mean, the people that love it love it. It's got a real mm-hmm. dedicated fan base, and and you know, uh, like a real fan club. And, and you, if you've seen it and you love sci fi, like you you'll get it, and it's great. And you're totally right, Chris Barry. I mean, I love the fact that like, little details. Like when he's, he is a, he loses his anger. He's got a T-shirt that says, I love Keish." You know, <laughs> give Keish a chance. That was it. Like, give Keish a chance. <laughs> and I think, like, just little, little bits of that are fantastic. Um, but the the the, um, the thing is, that you, you know, we talk about Lister. One of the things we, we talked about, and it sort of came as a realisation as Julian and I were going through it for the podcast, was Lister is the protagonist. He's the living human. He's the last human. You know, he's three million years in deep space. He's the last human. But it's actually, like, Rimmer that has the arc. Rimmer develops, like, you know, don't get me wrong, he's a complete dick. Like, <laughs> he's a terrible person. And, and they keep trying to remind you of that. Like, you know, he's really irritating to begin with. I mean, the second series starts with him. I maybe the first series ends, but there's an episode called Me Squared in the very, very early series, where he, he's able to duplicate himself as a hologram because mm. he's dead. And then all yeah. of a sudden, these these holograms irritate each other until one of them has to be getting rid of. So he's not a good person to be around. I mean, you know, in the later episode meltdown, he kills an entire population of waxwork droids on a planet and considers it a victory. Like he's hot. He's an awful person. But then he will do things, and he will sort of like he clearly has, uh, in some level some emotion some feeling for the characters around him. Like he, every now and then he'll do something. You go ah. And eventually, like, one of the greatest things is, like you say, you're introduced to uh, a character called Ace Rimmer.
0: um, I love Ace Rimmer so much. Smoke me a kebab, I'll be back for breakfast. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) And This idea of the alternative versions of of each of the characters and stuff. And Ace Rimmer is what would have happened to Rimmer if he was kept back a year. And that's what I love. It's like, again, this is the big idea of, like, what would happen if your life was just one decision was different, one little thing changed, and you find out that actually Ace Rimmer, this much more macho, this cooler sort of like, you know, real sort of like sexy dude. He's got long hair. and He's really cool. everyone like, what a guy um, <laughs> sort of thing. Like he actually had the harder, he had a harder childhood. He was kept back a year. He buckled down. He became this sort of like, you know, ace fighter pilot or test pilot. Rimmer got a bit of an easy ride, but he's always trying to blame people. But eventually, as he lives on and on and on, he eventually has to take on the mantle of Ace Rimmer in Series 7. Like, he takes it on. And, you know, it, it, you find out that Lister then does something to encourage him. And it's this real, like, it's, one of the, it's the best. It's the only good episode of Series 7, really, in retrospect. But um, the, the moment he takes on and becomes Ace Rimmer is um, it's really touching and an incredible journey for that character. But of course, like they, you know, being British comedy, it, it opens the, the the actual episode opens with a little mini Ace Rimmer adventure in which he ends up fighting like some Nazi soldiers, jumping out of a plane and surfing a crocodile down to uh, down to Earth. And it's just sort of like you're gonna have this. The rest of the episode is incredibly touching, and it covers all these sort of big ideas of legacy and you know becoming your best self. Oh yeah, but we're also gonna have a guy surfing a crocodile you know and sort of like you think that's awesome like no other show can do that um, no it, exactly yeah so that I think that's, uh, Red Dwarf is is again is another one I, I, you know I, I push it on people as much as possible if I can yeah I'm gonna I th-
0: I'm trying to I'm, I'm gonna try and show Megan it at some point I think as well but it's it's one of those things and it's not it's not just her I, I do it with certain things as well but when it's when there's certain new ground, in a sense, to be covered, there's that air of hesitation mm. uh, which happens sometimes. Uh, like Megan, she's not really into uh, anime, as an example. Mm. I'm not. I'm not the hugest anime fan, but you know, I like um, certain Studio Ghibli films, and there's, there's certain anime I really like from childhood, like Dragon Ball Z, or newer ones like Fullmetal Alchemist, Brotherhood, and things. Mm. But I'm not. I'm not super, super into anime. But she, she just watches it, and it, she, it doesn't quite click with her and yeah. things. And Red Dwarf is one of those things where she's been getting really into Star Wars recently um, because I've been you know, we watch all the series, the movies, and blah. And Red Dwarf is one of those things where it's, it, it it's it's quite a hard. It's almost one of those things where it's it's going to be a hard push in the sense of she's either going to fucking love it or she's going to hate it yeah. because it's it's so it, it's like there's certain parts where the CGI. Uh, with special effects is so clearly shit yeah. but it's at that point where they, they i think even at the time they were doing it they were like we know this looks crap now yeah. so we're not even going to pretend it doesn't so in that realm it works really well because you watch it and it's funny because it, that part is so bad but it works with the comedy of the show yeah. whereas if you get a, a sci-fi series or movie and it's deadpan serious all the time when things then date badly it looks terrible and it loses everything. But Red mm. Dwarf, because it's a comedy, that it's almost like it's almost like a really really bad horror film that knows it's a bad horror film. Yeah, the worse it gets and the more it ages, it actually gets
1: better yeah. because it adds to how crap it is in the good way. Yeah, yeah, like that camp, that sort of thing you said. I mean, mm. you know, Red Dwarf in many ways is like the anti-Star Wars. Yes, you know, it's very much so. that. Uh, you know, it's the anti-Star Trek as well. Those sort of like you know those adventurous sci-fi kind of franchises like red dwarf takes those and just it basically says that they're amazing that's great but we're just going to have two technicians living on a spaceship like (laughs) yeah the the thing that's i always find about back to reality is a great episode for that where it's sort of like you know again you know there's this notion of they get pulled out and they find out that the whole everything they've been doing for the last five series is a computer game i love that so much and then um you know twist is that it's not it's the despair squid and stuff but there's a great uh, bit when you, you've seen another group has gone in to restart playing red dwarf and as they're leaving lister looks into a, a viewfinder to see how they're playing it and they're playing it like a bunch of badasses you know there's explosions and they look awesome and he's already found kachansky and all this other stuff and he's like yeah yeah we we played it like a bunch of mooks like <laughs> this <was a> really, <laughs> this was terrible and so you could you know is that's exactly but that's the point like you watch that version of it and you go, actually, I'm glad it's not that because I'm endeared to these characters and their flaws and the fact that they are a bunch of sort of like um misfits and stuff and, that. and that's why I think I like it so much um mm. but again that comes down to this this british sensibility I think that like you know basically what it was there was there's a uh, there's a um i, I well, i'm big on I'm big on seventies comedy it was particular ones and um there's one called porridge. Which was a, a comedian and an actor called Ronnie Barker uh, of the two Ronnies. I don't know if anyone, anyone remembers that, but the,
0: I, I've seen him. But I think my—I mean, because I'm a little bit younger than you, but know yeah. me, I've seen him mainly from him showing up as a cameo, being himself in things, and yeah. I just know him from him referencing himself from the footprint he used to have, sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, because I mean, the two—the two Ronnies is Ronnie Barker and Ronnie Corbett, and Ronnie Corbett with the little one, and, and there was you know. But Ronnie Barker had like these comedies and one of them obviously was Porridge. And this thing was of him being in prison. Like he was Norman Stanley Fletcher and he was a, he was a sort of like a, a recidivist criminal sort of, you know, always going back into prison. And then he has this younger cellmate come in who's sort of like his this this first time in prison. And, you know, he sort of shows him the ropes and that's the sitcom. That was like three series of him sort of showing the ropes and doing some sort of stuff. And it's that same thing in Red Dwarf. It's like, that was a prison but we're going to take the same thing, especially for the first two series, and just put that in a spaceship, and so you change sort of change up the the dynamics. But it's still just a two guys, you know, in the cat in a in a spaceship. But it's still a prison. It's still a, a very small scenario. And they, but they just it grows and grows and, and from there. But it still fits that sort of like you know seventies eighties um sitcom sensibility, which is why I think it's sort of it stuck around. I mean, it's a, it's a British um if anything one of the things I'm, I'm sad about and i've said this a number of times on the sci-fi podcast i should have been let you talk in a minute but, but no i want to hear you keep
0: you talk it's great one of the
1: things i always feel sad about is there was a there's, um, there was a, a, a magazine in the in the 90s uh, 92 to 94 called the smegazine uh ran for like 29 issues and it's it was basically the red dwarf magazine and in it you have all these interviews and you had sort of like behind the scenes stuff and it's really good stuff. Some of the interviews in it are really good. Like it's not just like they do the actors and stuff and the directors and the writers, but then the interview about special effects, the interview about the music, about the production, really cool stuff. But it also had a bunch of comics in it. So there was a bunch of like red dwarf comics drawn by people that I'm like, I know this artist from 2000 AD. And so it's really cool. You you can collect them on eBay. They're there. I've got the first volume sort of fully collected now. But I'm like, this is being lost. Some of these like amazing interviews and and sort of like ideas and the comic strips being lost. Like it should be collected together and stuff. Um, But then I'm like, you know, then I see that like Doctor Who's got like Titan um, comics. It's got a really strong Doctor Who comic series. You know, they'll do a run of like, oh, with this time we're doing the the 11th Doctor. And then, you Mm. know, and then we're going to do a run of the 13th Doctor. And just so you know, we're going to throw in the 7th Doctor and do like a four-part series of that. And you're thinking, these are really cool. Like, you know, there's some good, you know, they're getting solid writers and British writers. I think that like Al Ewing's done them. Paul Cornell's done them. You know, you, these are good names. Um, and all I can think of is like, why why does Red Dwarf not have a comic book series? Mm. Like I would love to see Titan pick it up and go, even if it was just a short run and go, you could do some cool stuff with this. Um, You know, and you could say, right, this is set between series three and four and and, and put it there, like a little adventure or whatever. Um, And then you've got things like, why is Doctor Who and Red Dwarf, they were both owned by the BBC for years. Why have they never crossed over?
0: Oh yeah, that would be it would be so clever and it would you could do it in such a fun easy going way. You could you could almost do it so tongue in cheek where you could have red Dwar- the red dwarf crew. You wouldn't even necessarily need to even see the doctor or anything. You could just have like the, the TARDIS there almost and you mm. could tell maybe they go to a ship of some sort and loads of bad stuff's happening. And the Red Dwarf crew are like, we need to help them. And they're going around trying to help but they actually are causing all the problems. Yeah. And the doctor's going around undoing all the damage. Yeah, exactly. But they think they're sorting it. That, that I just thought of that I've never heard of that. I, I didn't know they were connected they were well, I know they're both went by the BBC but I never made that connection. If I can think of something
1: in five seconds, you just think some of the greatest writers, they could come up with gold. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about the dynamics between, especially the current Doctor, you know, Jodie Whittaker, and then mm. have, meeting up with um, the cat. <laughs> you know, the the cat's going to be like all over, like, ah, yeah, and sort of like smoothing up to the female Doctor. That, that That's, you know, that, it's just a, I just think it's a massive missed opportunity. It's a real shame. But you never know. It may happen. It may have.
0: Fingers crossed. Well, yeah. I, I don't think because of... It's one of those things where I'm very glad that in, you know, not again to talk about politics, but in, in the capitalist society we were in, I'm very glad for a lot of the elements we have because although there's a lot of corruption and a lot of shit, we do get cool TV shows, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all mm-hmm. these cool things that are basically funded because of money. Disney want more <laughs> money. And to make more money, they make more Star Wars and more Marvel, which I'm okay with. And it's like the upsetting thing about it is when, you know, they had that whole spiel... I don't know if it was this year or last year because lockdown's completely fucked my idea of <laughs> yeah. when things are now. But like, um, w- there was that thing about uh, Sony and Disney were squabbling about uh, Spider-Man and and okay. uh, whether it was going to stay anything yeah. to you. And it, as soon as you hear that, you're like, you. it's almost like this was put together almost as a joke because you know they're going to put together and figure something out because it's such a money maker. Yeah. But it's like, because of, of and they're going to get Venom involved and all that sort of stuff, blah, blah, blah. That's cool. But it's like this, well, the, my point here is, it's so upsetting that there's so many crossovers that can't happen because corporations can't just be like, why don't we just make this for fun? Why can't we just say, like, let's just put these two things together and we'll split it half. Yeah, but might we put in 65% of the effort or our show makes, mm-hmm. you know, t- 20% more than your show. So like, can't you just all shut up and just... Like, for example, a gr- one of the best crossovers, really, which, not because it's one of the best films ever, but, like, Alien vs. Predator. Mm-hmm. Not the second one, the first one. Like, Alien, the the four of them... Inconsistent, but Aliens I would stand by is one of the coolest sci fi films ever, made, yeah, as well amazing. as Terminator 2, which is also made by James Cameron. So, two of the best sci fi films, in my opinion, with some of the best special CGI effects and realistic uh, special effects that still stand strong today are incredible movies. And then you've got Predator, which is, you know, Predator is one of the coolest ideas ever, with Alien, which is probably the coolest idea ever as well, because I, I love these things. <laughs> and you put them together in a film that really works, and it's Part of it is the novelty of seeing these two things come together, but it works so well in the right way. Requiem didn't. They tried too hard. The camera's far too dark. Yeah, but yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about that. But it's like, it's, it's a shame because I think they did, um, I don't think I've seen it, but like Freddy versus Jason. That's great. It slated, but, but yeah, it's like, it's crap good. It's so stupid cheesy. It's It's, awesome. it's, so cheesy, so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, and it's lots of, horror and lower budget things manage to do these sorts of things a bit more because there's not as much intellectual property people are squabbling over but there's it's like i I mean you know i'm a massive star wars fan i love the canon and stuff but you know i would love love it i'm hoping that maybe when i'm a granddad or something it'll happen but and they could run out of ideas and they end up doing it but like a marvel star wars crossover of i mean there's talks of because where Disney now own 20th Century Fox and Mm -hmm. they own the property to Aliens and Predator, there's talks of releasing a comic which crosses over the Alien universe and the Avengers universe or something like that. I mean, whether or not it will happen soon, I don't know, but I'm sure it will happen at some point. But it's like, if you could imagine that with Star Wars, could you imagine the possibilities of having a set of Star Wars horror films? They wouldn't have to be canon. You wouldn't have to worry about that stuff. They could call it Legends. Who cares? But having like Darth Vader against Alien and Predator.
1: Like, Darth, Vader, says, yeah, Darth Vader being hunted by a predator.
0: Yeah, and while in a place where there's loads of aliens, yeah, could you imagine anything cooler than that? Like, he doesn't have a lightsaber, because if he had a lightsaber, it would probably be a bit OP. But, like, if he just lost his lightsaber somehow, or something, and he was just... Vader using force powers against a Predator while there's aliens trying to get them both yeah. that you, know, you have like an, a, a scene where he could like you know slam an alien against another one a bit of blood splats out and it burns his arm and you see all the circuitry and there's so many cool things you could fucking do it, it,
1: and but, they're just not but this is why comics are so cool because you, you know you're probably mm-hmm. never going to get it on the film because of the budget and, and you know the money that has to be put behind it but you're right like with comics I mean the alien versus Predator thing obviously started as a comic that was Dark mm-hmm. Horse got the rights from 20th Century, uh, 20th century Fox <laughs> it is yeah. <laughs> it's from you <laughs> well, i have the rights i mean yeah i'm mean, amazing but if they would gotten from fox and you know they obviously got predator no uh, they did aliens first because they did the follow on from um aliens um they did like they did a, the first sequel before alien 3 they did a sequel to aliens and then they got the the terminator rights and then they got the Predator rights and they sort of, so they started to do those sort of, those licensed comics. Those first batch of licensed comics, by the way, by Dark Horse are absolutely phenomenal. They're very, they're very mm. 90s, but they are awesome. Concrete Jungle, which is the first sort of like sequel to Predator, um, has a Schaefer brother. It's, it's Schaefer arms watching his brother as a New York cop. And it's amazing. Um, it obviously inspired Predator 2 and all this other stuff, but
0: and that's the end of part one thanks as always for tuning in guys in part two the discussion that kind of started on this one with the crossovers will continue we also speak about directors being more adventurous with their work without studios kind of stifling them and whatnot issues of prequel movies cinematic universes accessibility of nerd culture for the mainstream video game movies and lots of other things all around the same general topic of great fun nerdy things In the show notes, I have included the links to Scott's website where you can find information on 20th Century Geek and his other podcast stories out of time and space, as well as he's been on previous episodes of Genuine Chit Chat, as I said, episode 75 for the Star Wars discussion, as well as episode 89 for a wrestling talk. Me and Megan are going to be on Scott's podcast doing this big Batman retrospective. I'm not 100% sure when that's going to be released, but we are recording it tomorrow, or at least part one of it tomorrow. So, you know, keep up with me on Instagram and stuff. You get to see all the movies I've been watching and things. I generally post them on my story and occasionally do movie reviews and stuff. So make sure you follow me on social media so you get the best out of me and all the content you can possibly manage and then coming up I haven't got any episodes recorded at the moment aside from obviously this one I have got a recording due not next week but the week after which is going to be fun it's going to be about a uh, someone making a Green Lantern fan film which I'm very excited to speak with him about and I've also got Steve from Superheroes for Dummies coming on the show with me as well to kind of help me host and things because he knows loads about Green Lantern. He's from the Superheroes for Dummies podcast, which also airs on the Comics and Motion feed, which is where you can find my other podcast, Star Wars Comics and Canon. And I've got a few other podcasts lined up in the future, as well as a couple other places I'm going to be airing on their podcasts too. So lots of cool stuff. If you want to keep up to date with me, you can either email me and just ask, or you can follow me on social media and that sort of jazz I will post on there too. In these show notes, there are lists of various different collaborations I've done. Obviously, I've done ones with Scott as well. Went on Comics on Trial, which is on the Comics Emotions feed, where me and Scott basically went into a courtroom and to talk about Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I was defending it, he was prosecuting, and Paul from Superheroes for Dummies was the judge. That came out on the 20th of September, and the link to that's in the show notes, as well as loads of other stuff I've been involved with recently. The only other thing really to mention is my other podcast Star Wars Comics in Canon it's a Star Wars podcast I primarily focus on the comics how they tie in with certain movies how the character connections I find other information online about them and things and also on the feed of Comics in Motion as well there is a weekly Mandalorian show which I've been recording little snippets to put in there just for like bits of additional lore and whatnot because for the first three episodes I'm not involved with those because they asked me to and I just said I was too busy but on the fourth episode the mid-series one I'll be on there and then also on the finale I'll be on that that one as well, which would be the eighth episode. So make sure you subscribe to Comics in Motion so you can see my other podcast styles, Comics and Canon, The Mandalorian show that is going to be there weekly, as well as all the other amazing shows on that feed. But aside from that, guys, that's really it from me, I think. Um, you know, wishing all of you guys the best of luck. I hope Lockdown 2, the electric bungalow, isn't causing you guys too much issues, or depending on where you are in the world, I suppose, in England, we're in lockdown too. Anyway, yeah, so hope you guys are doing well. Wish you all the love. Make sure you contact me if you have any questions, queries, or just fancy a chat. And yeah, I'll talk to all of you next week.